the great writer Gabriel Garcia Marquez wrote once, what matters in life is not what happens to you, but what you remember and how you tell it. What matters in life is not what happens to you, but what you remember and how you tell it. This week's Torah reading, the Parsha, more accurately, we would call it the weekly wisdom of the Torah, invites all of us on our way to freedom to take the path that releases the shackles of ignorance and suffering, that releases us from narrowness and limitation, and it makes a fundamental assertion, and that's where we begin tonight. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe bo el paro ki an yichbadeti es libo ves levavadav leman shisi oso sai ele bekir bo uleman tisaper bi oznei bincha uben bincha es asher isalaldi be mitzrayim v'yes oso sai asher samti vam v'datem ki an yadunai. God said to Moshe, "Return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn, so I can display my miraculous signs among them. But I've also done it." So you can tell your children and grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them. And so you will know that I am God. My dear friend Rabbi Mishael Sion, in his weekly commentary on the Parsha draws our attention to the two words in the beginning of verse 2. Uleman saper. God says to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and tell him that I am going to bring more plagues. Laman tisaper, so that you will tell your children, says the verse. One of the purposes of the Exodus is that we will educate, inculcate an ethic, an ethos of storytelling, of giving over a story. Exodus is uniquely framed as a narrative. Mishael says, it is becoming increasingly clear across academic fields that the stories we tell to our children, to our friends, to ourselves, are the determining factor in our worldview, decision-making and happiness. Stories determine political choices, but also intensely personal ones. Figuring out our own story and the stories we tell of the world is a crucial factor in the professional and intimate choices that we make in life. Here we stand in a week of stories and disclosures, a week where heroes, or at least sports heroes, have been in the spotlight not for their athletic accomplishments, but rather for their ignominious and dishonorable actions, whether it's Montiteo, and the highly unusual story of a story that wasn't a story, or Lance Armstrong and his admittance finally to using drugs. This has been a week of getting to the bottom and arriving at, quote-unquote, the truth. And it has exposed us to a few fundamental flaws in our cultural character. But one very powerful asset. Of course, the flaws are many. We have a distorted sense of the heroic, or better yet, we should say, 
We are so starved in our culture for role models and real heroes, those who live authentically heroic lives. We knowingly overlook details of those who are not heroic in order to put them on a pedestal. Our desperate yearning for heroes, types, standards, those desperate yearnings fuel our fascination with celebrities and also our shocking dismay when their clay feet are exposed. But the asset, something deeper, is happening. I can't help but think as these individuals and others spend time on talk shows and making interviews, that the spin and the power of spin, otherwise known perhaps as the science of interpretation and hermeneutic, <laughs> that area or domain of social and individual living that in our tradition is the hallmark of Torah. Torah, you might imagine, of course, is a book of laws. Truth be told, there are normative laws that the Torah would like to bequeath. But more fundamentally, the Torah is a book of illustrations, a book of stories and narratives that because of the sliding context, the very instability of a story itself to define a final resolution of its meaning. You can't finally get what a story means because it always means something new. It isn't law per se. It's Agadah. It's a story. And like our lives, stories are infinitely varied. This insight, I would suggest, helps us to understand a very puzzling piece of this week's Parsha. In the Parsha, God says to Moses, I will bring one more plague of Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Did anybody ever get that when they were reading the Parsha? The Bible says that as we were leaving Exodus, right, get this. We're running. We don't have time for the bread to rise. We don't have time to pack our bags. We are supposed to run from Egypt. And yet God says, but on the way out... Everyone should ask their neighbor for vessels of silver and gold. Make sure that you are given these vessels of silver and gold. Of course, the commentators, the Mepharshim, are perplexed about this. A simple answer is that God had made a promise to Abraham back in the book of Genesis when prophesizing the slavery that the Israelites were about to endure, he said that they would suffer and all of these things would happen to them. But they will leave with great bounty. So simply, this is a great fulfillment of that. Many of the commentators see in this actually a wonderful social adjustment. In being given these things, the Israelites are freed from resentment, freed from the hatred that might have accrued over centuries of backbreaking labor, Unpaid, of course. And in this moment, they are freed in some sense to fulfill a later commandment of the Torah which says, love the Egyptian. The commentators say, of course, you could one day love an Egyptian if you had been a slave because reparations took place. Simple. But we have to go deeper. 
And we don't have to go further than the Zohar and the mystical tradition. For the mystics have a very different answer to the question, what are these silver and gold? They say that the question we raised earlier, which is, what is the meaning of your story? Or as Garcia Marquez said, it isn't what happens to you, but what you make of it that matters in life is essentially happening here in this week's Parsha. That history is not a fact, an objective, empirical, quantifiable, discrete piece of time, but an interpretation. And as the Israelites are leaving Egypt, God says to them, go ask the Egyptians for gold. The slave masters, the taskmasters, those who caused you suffering, those whom you will carry with you your whole life, those outside of you. God says, ask them for gold. Say the mystics turn the Egyptian slavery into gold. And as the Midrash beautifully points out, this silver and gold will be used later on in our in Exodus narrative to build God's sanctuary, to build the Mishkan. The tabernacle is made of those lead experiences that are chemically and alchemically transformed into gold by the power each and every one of us has to make meaning. You and I and everyone in here is a meaning-making machine. And the meaning that you offer your experience is not given. It isn't expected. There's no probability. There's no way to know if you'll become a Nelson Mandela or you'll become something else. There is no way to know, but you can choose. A fight is brewing everywhere in our country about the nature of a document written 200, over 200 years ago. And in a world of normativity, of law, that law is static. It says in the Second Amendment that you can take up a musket. <laughs> but thankfully, in the tradition of the Jewish tradition of interpretation and hermeneutics and interpretation, illustration and stories and context are sliding, and it is up to you to decide what the story means how to apply those discrete, objective pieces. Life is given and its meaning is not. Every spiritual life entails a succession of difficulties because every ordinary life also involves a succession of difficulties. What the Buddha described as the inevitable sufferings of existence. In a spiritually informed life, these inevitable difficulties can be the source of our awakening, of our deepening wisdom, of patience and balance and compassion. Without this perspective, we simply bear our sufferings like an ox or a foot soldier under a heavy load, like the young maiden in Rumpelstiltskin who is locked in a room full of straw. We often don't realize that the straw all around us is gold in disguise. The basic principle of a spiritual life is that our problems become the very place that we discover wisdom and love. It isn't other. Perhaps the greatest remark of the spiritual life is that as we deepen our spiritual practice, we are led 
to the art of making mistakes wakefully. Making mistakes wakefully. Now that's a prayer. In fact, I don't say that so tongue-in-cheek. The Buddhists have a prayer like that. Grant that I may be given appropriate difficulties and sufferings on this journey so that my heart may be truly awakened and my practice of liberation and universal compassion may be truly fulfilled. This approach to the gold vessels and silver vessels is one that essentially says that everything that you are given is a possibility for awakening some more difficult than others, but you alone, you alone, we are the ultimate arbiters of how we work with what is given. This weekend, of course, we celebrate the life of someone who had a dream. And that capacity to dream of new possibilities, to envision a new story, where his daughter and other daughters and children would one day play together was Martin Luther King's enduring legacy to each and every one of us to change narratives, to envision what isn't yet, and to in that way not propose specific legislation, not knock on the door or pin edicts to some church, but to begin to tell a different story of how this country, of how we might live. What would it look like to live in a country without guns? What kind of story is that story? And what kind of story is a story that says, no, we should increase gun access? What kind of story is the story that we tell ourselves and each other whenever we talk about our lives? Do we always use the same sentences, the same descriptions, the same adjectives? that we always get caught in the same place. Lamantis saper, so that you will tell a story, is an invitation to each and every one of us to own that power that is uniquely ours. Our life is the text, and our imagination is that vehicle for its exploration. May the Holy One of blessing, the one who empowers us, each and every one of us, through his spoken and her spoken activity creating life. The one who is the ultimate storyteller, may that one remind us of the power that we have to create our world anew, empower us to reshape our narratives with wholesome ones, call on us to dream big and act small, inspire us to build a world in a sacred space, a mishkan, made of those golden straws that we find all around us. May that day come soon for each and every one of you and our culture and our world. And let us say, Amen.